Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I'm here with Joel Rawlings. I'm just going to get right into it from the beginning, trying a new thing, even though I'm explaining getting right into it from the beginning. But anyway, uh, Joel and I have got a nice full show for you today. We are going to talk about... Um, what are we going to talk about, Joel? Well, like always, I always want to talk either football or basketball, and I never want to talk swimming. And then you're always like, what relevance does this have? So, like, I was watching the, the Bills-Bengals game, and when the uh, that one player um, turned out it was a, a cardiac arrest, getting a hit to the chest so hard that actually stops the heart. Um, what, what I noticed on that, you know, before you kind of know what's going on, you know the seriousness, also you're seeing all these players on the sidelines crying, literally crying. Um, you know, going through a lot of emotions or they're not playing, they're just done. And I I was thinking like, um, as far as like this podcast go, I know like anytime I talk to people about, you know, different elements of swimming, we talk about like the emotions that come into play with the athletes and, and people are always like, listen, I don't want any of the touchy feely stuff. I don't want any of the arts and crafts homework. Just tell me how to write a setup. Give me an example of, you know, an endurance set, but whatever. And what, what I thought was interesting is at this point in time, uh, athletes showing emotions is is our topics. You know, it is the thing that we need to most worry about as a coach. Um, and, and obviously in a sport like football, where 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, keep playing. In this case, players are like, yeah, we're done playing. We're, we're leaving the field. This is bigger than the, the game is. And so um, I think that just shows, again, how sport is evolving and how athlete-centric it's become. You know, you see like with LeBron deciding where he's going to go. You see all these things going on. It's going to trickle back to swimming. If it's, if it's not so much trickling back, it's already always been there. And I think as coaches, we always just kind of like, well, let's just keep moving forward. This is what I'm going to talk about. This is what we're going to do. This is the set. And, I, you know, I started thinking after I was been enough swim clinics, like, you know, I can, I can figure out how to write a set. You know, I've got Ernie McGlesio's book at home. That, that, that's, you know, what else are you going to need? And so basically a lot of times all it is is like we're just dressing up the same stuff a little bit differently a lot of times. But what, what, is, what is changing is, is the, uh, the athletes' reactions, the parents that we're talking about now, not just helicopter parents, but these snowplow parents they read about in soccer. Um, and that's why I think this is uh, important, like the things that you're doing and um, how we relate to athletes and how we talk to athletes. I think is one of those things that you can't really have a textbook for you just need like experience and in, in talking and listening and, and trying to understand what's going on behind it. You know, the, the, the methods that go on behind what, what we see, you know, we see the symptoms, but I want to know kind of what the, what's, what's going on behind. Yeah. Something is changing. I, I, I totally agree with you on that front, Joel. And I would just add, I've been to uh, plenty of things and uh, I would argue, I, I still can't quite figure out how to write practice. But I'm not sure that, um, you know, just designing training is really the most important thing. It's a thing that we spend a lot of time around. I actually think because we spent so much time on it, I think the median level and, you you know, like whoever's listening to this is going to listen to it and go like, I know somebody who just writes stupid practices. I still think the median level of people designing training is actually really good. Right. Like in general, um, swim coaches are at a pretty high level in terms of uh, designing practices and getting some kind of training that the athletes are going to be able to be fit and be ready. Like they're, they're, they're in that ways, 
way ahead probably of even previous generations in terms of their preparedness. Um, but I do see, you know, I think in many ways what you're, what you're observing, um, and I'm not a American football fan, so I didn't watch any of the, uh, the bill stuff as it happened. Um, but everybody wanted to talk about it right. for two weeks. So like, I can't help but be aware and even hit home with me a bit because, um, my wife has a as a heart condition where she actually passed out on the on the on a field um, during an athletic event and had to go have um, surgery. So anytime something like that happens, it hits a little bit close to home. And and you're right. Um, probably the the biggest sign of change we could see was that you know the the, the players electing. Um, not to play. And it's, it seems like so culturally abstract that anyone would continue playing that I've seen a lot of discussion. Like people are like, we're trying to figure out if somebody said like that the players have to warm up again and get back on the field, right. like, we're going to find that guy. We're going to yeah. get him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, cause yeah. that guy was totally out of line. Right. Whereas, you know, you could imagine in, in, in a previous time or space, there would have been like, yeah, like, they want us to get back, you know, whoever the DeMar Hamlin wants us to get back on the field. He would have wanted yeah, us to right, finish right. the game, you yeah. know, like there would have been some, some, um, movement towards that. Um, and instead it was this, this, um, really dramatic shift. And I think that where I come at it from is that, you know, Athletes having a lot more autonomy and having a lot more control can seem, I think, scary to a lot of people, especially if you're, if you've been successful in a system that doesn't have a lot of autonomy for athletes. But I would argue that this is actually in the long term, this is a really exciting development. You may not always like, especially as a coach, you may not always like the micro of it. But if you're looking at these situations and you're going, you know, um, I, I see that the athletes are able to have more say in what they're doing and able to have more, uh, more of a piece of the decision-making process. And, you know, it, it feels like a cultural clash to you. That's probably correct. Because most of us um, that are in a coaching position, uh, we're we're drawing upon knowledge that is, you know, handed down person by person, and a lot of that knowledge is around various ways you can. F co I don't know. I don't want to say force because I actually think it's it's one of the things they're running into is that it's it's impossible to force people to do things in most cases, <laughs> like it is actually, when you really think about it, impossible, um, you know, and more and more, um, the athletes are realizing, you know, like, Hey, if I push back, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing actually, there's, 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 there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing what I want. And so, you know, you, you have to have some tools, in your toolkit as a coach that are like, how can I get people to want to do the things mm -hmm. that I think they should do to have a good experience doing the sport 
and to get better and do, you know, be competitive and all of those things that are at the core of sports and the sports experience. But, um, in, in another, in a bygone era, we would have sort of had some, we've had some harsher tactics for getting there. Right. Correct. Yeah. I think that's the thing is I, you know, you hear coaches like, well, you know, these kids today have changed these kids. Well, yeah. And that, that's it. It's, you, you can either, you know, keep on fighting the rain, you know, or, 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 or get the umbrella out. You know, you can just keep on yeah. wailing against, you know, these kids aren't strong anymore because they don't have PE. They don't have this, they don't have that are mentally tough. Like, well, now at least you know what you have and what are you going to do to step back and get them to where you want them to go. And, and you're going to have to adjust your tactics. So, you, you know, a team of a hundred, so a hundred kids are going to change to your tactics you know, Bobby Knight worked for him for a little while, but, you know, look where he's at now, you know, and, and versus, uh, you know, you making a, a subtle change. And again, asking the questions, kind of reading the room a little bit more, uh, understanding the emotions behind it. And I've always thought, again, like the psychological aspect of swimming has always been more important than the physiological. You know, you, you hear about like people that can lift a car off of, you know, in an emergency situation, they can lift a car. They've got that kind of strength. You know, so it's in us to do stuff, and it's just uh, the coaches have to figure out a way to get that out of them. And so I think kind of what we're leading into is, you know, what are some of those tools that we can get to as a coach to, you know, ask the right questions, to kind of read the room, to, you know, it's not not voodoo. It's just, you know, just understanding humans. But also in, you know, the second part of that we've been talking about is the idea of we've gone from helicopter parent to snowplow parent, where you see like in this uh, whole – whole breakdown of soccer how these parents are like you know just you know pushing it with, with snowplow is they're pushing any obstacles out of the child's path so their child can experience success and i used to kind of think like you know anytime a parent would come to me and they would be really aggressive about something understanding is like you know i get it they, they think i've hurt their child and now they've got to protect their child and so what i need us to do is, is get to the common ground that we both care about the child and that my rationale or what I'm doing is X. And if they think there's a better way, I'd like to hear it, but not in, not, not, not with the, uh, the full screaming effect that's coming out right now. You know, what are we going to do to get your child the best? And, and that's usually, you know, that, that common ground we're looking for. Yeah. Well, I think you, there's a, there's a thing I want to interrogate in what you just said. Cause you, you, you talked about like, yeah, I mean, are you going to expect as a coach, that like whatever hundred kids on your program adjust to you. And I would argue actually that is the most successful model in the sport of swimming is we have, you know, like, can you get a big volume of people Mm -hmm. generally moving in the same direction culturally? Um, Can you get like enough people in your pool? Can you get, you know, as many people in the lanes as you possibly can with your expenses at the lowest, you know, with the fewest possible coaches on there. And like, can you basically make it work? Um, And I think a lot of people look at it like as financially. So like actually in large part, um, and this goes into, you, you shared some, a question from somebody you used to coach. um, And I think we're going to get to that as well too. I see that there's something specifically in the model, like a lot. And, and I know this cause I, I just came away from 
coaching and, and quit a coaching job. I was extremely challenged to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do in terms of the sort of emotional, um, psychological development of the people I was coaching because I was responsible for 46 swimmers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that stuff takes time. It's not, it's not like, it's not, it involves talking to people. It involves um, relationship building. It involves all sorts of stuff that um, is, is frankly, is more expensive than training. Like training is, we, we've maximized training so hard because um, training is fairly easy to deliver on a mass scale. And, and it's quantifiable. A lot of these structures are built. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's easily it's quantifiable. quantifiable versus I was thinking is like when you said is like, you know, emotional development. And this will lead into the conversation we had with my former the emotional development. How do you measure that? You know, that like the parents, like, I don't, you know, I see them not doing flip turns very well. It's like, well, emotionally, they've gotten better. How? What have you done? You know, it, it's one of those things where you, it's not something that's tangible. It's not something quantifiable. And it's such a slow, gradual process. And it might not appear in, in a, you know, just around the kitchen table. You know, what'd you work on today? You're like, well, I feel more confident. You know, they're not going to really come up with that on their own. You know, it's something that just kind of comes a part of it. And I think that's what you're saying too is, is the, the expense, the time, the effort the coach has to put into it. And you want these results. Right. And you got these right. parents where they come in. What are their expectations? What are their results? And you're saying, you know, confidence and things like that, but this, it's not a quantifiable thing. And so I think that's one of those things where, you, like you said, you, go, you keep putting it in there and there's no real measure until they're, what, 35, 36 years old and, they, you know, they have a stable life ahead of them, you know? Yeah, well, like, you know what I would love for somebody to do? I would love for somebody to actually get in and do some research, like go to a giant swim meet. And like actually be able to conduct like who's having a good time, like go to go to winter junior nationals. I would like to know uh, somebody to measure honestly how many of the coaches are having a good time at that meet would describe like I am enjoying this competition right now. And then how many of the athletes? Because I would venture to say the, the number is extremely low. And. That's a problem when we look at sports, you know, like I'm not saying that everybody has to be enjoying it at all times, you know, you're going to have highs and lows with what you're doing. But if you're having a a sporting competition and most people are really unhappy for most of it, then, you know, what is it going to be like? what, What are people drawing upon that's really positive to motivate themselves to do all this stuff. Like what are they? <laughs> I, I, I always come back to motivation specifically because I think that, and we talked about this on another podcast that most people are motivating themselves um, through some, some form of self cruelty. You know, they're being, they're, 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 they're applying that like sort of mental cattle prod. That's like you do this or else. Right, right. You know, like you do this or, or else coach is going to be mad. You do this or else mom's going to be mad. You do this or else, you know, uh, your teammates are all going to be disappointed. You do this or else are you going to swim slow? Like you sort of repeat all this stuff to keep your motivated. And one of the reasons why 
it, it creates a self-sustaining loop where you don't even know, like, are you miserable at the competition because you've been so cruel to yourself in the whole lead up to the competition. And now when the pressure's really on, like you don't have a lot of confidence in yourself because your whole motivation has been built around beating yourself up or are you using a lot of cruel stuff to motivate yourself? Because naturally when you look at the competition, you go like, this is not fun. This is not something I'm looking forward to doing. So I have to force myself to do it. And the only way I know how to force myself is by being mean to myself. That's sort of the, the paradox that I see in a lot of these situations. And then also if you're kind of the level of fun, the parents in, in the stands, you know, what, what, cause again, yeah. we have to talk about all, all those different layers to it. I mean, we, we're seeing coaches burning out faster than ever before. Um, you know, the, the kids are going through a lot more than they ever had before. And now the parents too are feeling stretched thin, you know, financially. I mean, to go to, like you said, you said juniors, well, you had to fly from somewhere. You got a hotel, you know, it's a few thousand dollars for this, for this, and it's like, yeah, it's not exactly going to Disneyland. You know, at the end, you're hoping, obviously, some sort of development. But at the end of, like, the Super Bowl, people are like, this is the best thing in my life. I'm going to the Super Bowl. For a lot of kids, this right. juniors is their Super Bowl. And, and we want it to be like, this is the best thing that's, that's happening to me is I get to go to juniors or whatever the next level meet is. You know, and then that's the things we're trying to create stepping stones for them to get from, you know, state level to junior level, junior level to senior level. And then whatever their terminal outcome is, it's fine. But each step along the way, kind of the stop and smell roses moment of I'm having fun here. I'm having fun now. And then I'm with my friends. I'm, you know, competing well, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think what you point to um, with parents is first off, I think, you know, having having only dipped my you know pinky toe in watching my own children do anything athletic. I can tell you, like, I, I got from the first second, what an emotional experience it is. It's like, in terms yeah. of, like I say, I'm not like an American football fan. I joke about that stuff. I really just got out of ha habit. I used to watch football. I don't watch it anymore. Like if my daughter's doing an athletic competition, I'm locked in. Like it's the best sporting event. It's the most engaging sporting event I've been to in years. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is this sort of natural point where it draws you in, it draws your attention, it draws your engagement. And it's because you have emotion invested in what's happening. Here's a person that's really important to you Correct. and you're watching them do something. Um, and, and so I think that has always been the case, right? That's not something that has changed over time. Parents have been coming to watch their kids. Right do sporting events. And it's always been, um, a really, a really engaging process. What has, what has probably changed, I think, um, is that there seems to be a lot of forces, um, some of their own creation, some to completely out of their control, um, that are making these parents feel like, um, feel pressure on behalf of not even on behalf, but, but around what their kids, um, tangible, quantifiable results are, you yeah, know, yeah. um, in the sport of swimming, we have times, but you know, any kind of like, are you on the, you know, 
a one travel team for soccer? Are you, yeah. you know, that's become um, <laughs> the new, the new parent report card. My parent report card is still, if I take my kid to the dentist and I just sit there like, uh, here, they're going to come out. I was like, no, it looks great. A for the dad, yeah. you know, versus the, yeah, you, you know, did he's, it, got, he's got a cavity teeth look like, ah, oh, that's on me. I'm wearing that one. I taken the L, but the new parent report card, I was reading about this in soccer is basically we're looking at, you know, your, it shows financial stability that your kid is doing sports. It shows that you're a great parent because your kid's excelling at sports. You know, obviously it's like, and I'm not saying that that's what it is, but that's what it's kind of starting to become where like your ability to be a parent is, is not so much what his report card is, but what this, what the student athlete is like, you know, are, are they getting, you know, scholarship offers are they you know getting are they you know on varsity are they the first one down the lane whatever it might be and so our the whole parenting thing and this again you we've got you know international listeners so it's probably very different there but in this country it's becoming that and i was reading about this in in uh again with the whole snow plowing soccer parent thing is a lot of parents are taking their they, they've turned that identity of their kid into their ability to parent i'm a great parent because look at how my child is doing and I, I've gotten, you know, I've got a few athletes I used to coach that now are coaches, no matter how much I told them not to do that. They, they didn't listen to right. me once again, but they'll send back like, Hey, this is what we gave at the beginning of the speech. We're talking about, you know, trying to create a history and, you know, kind of touchable heroes within the program. You know, this person's doing this, this person got this scholarship, this person. I'm like, Whoa, you said scholarship. And it's like, yeah. you screwed up, dude. And they're like, well, it shows that we're thinking about college, even when they're eighth grade. It's like, no, you just said money. As soon as that is, and you yeah. look at what parents do, like if you, one of the studies I was, I was looking at, they, they, they take kids. The kids have always been the same. Why do you do this sport? I like having fun. I like being around my friends. I like, and then the third thing could be a million other things, but friends having fun are the top two for every kid. And the parents now all of a sudden is creeping into the sixth, seventh, eighth. I want leadership skills. I want a scholarship. And so now those two things are just totally incongruent. You know, because now all of a sudden that pressure is on them. They're like, I'm a bad parent if my kid's not succeeding. I'm doing this and my parents doing, you know. And so, again, once that money's in there, then I think that becomes part of the thing where it's kind of like the fraternity hazing thing. What, what locks you in is like, I've been through all of this, then it must be worth it. You know, so like I got up 4 a.m. to get my kid to the swim meet all the way across the state. This must be worth it. What am I doing it for? Oh, yeah, scholarship. You know, they're not thinking at 4 a.m., I want to make sure my kid has fun. My kid would have fun playing at the playground. It doesn't mean I have to yeah. drive across state and spend $800 to go to the state meet, you know, to have fun. Right. You can have fun anywhere. I'm thinking scholarship. I'm thinking right. leadership. And so all these things start to fill in, and it kind of leads into what we were talking about, where all of a sudden something changes, and the kids have, or the parents have put financial – uh, investment, time investment, emotional investment into their child's sport and their sports and their child's like, you know, either they've hit a plateau or they're taking a step back. And w one of the kids I coached, he's saying like, yeah, well, where, where's that finger getting pointed to the blame? It's coach's fault. My kid's not motivated. That's on you. You know, I drive into practice. Why isn't he or she motivated? That's on you. They don't like the sport. That's on you. And then the next part is, obviously, if they're not 100% engaged, you're not always going to get the times you want. How come these people are excelling? That's on you, the coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so 
A couple things. Um, one, I, I hear you talk about the other parents and like probably Denmark has got to be the country where we get the most listeners. And actually this concept of snowplow, even when I was coaching over there, they would um, refer to um, the type, sort of the, the, the parental behavior that, that you're talking about here as curling parents, you know, because curling's a big yeah, yeah. winter sport. You yeah. know, the two people that go in front of that little puck and they sweep, 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 yeah. all the ice out of the way, you know, so that that puck can just travel. I don't know. Is that even called a puck? I don't know. I don't. Care. I think it's a marketable curling skill, people though, compared to what I have from coaching. Yeah. I could have learned how to sweep. I would have joined curling. My parents have been on top of that game early. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please go um, on. Yeah. So anyway, they, they, they call them curling parents. But I, I do think, like, there's a piece of this where um, – I, I always want to look internally to our coaching culture, like what can we control and what can we not control? You know, we can all sit around and complain about the place that we've gotten into with, um, with parents. Cause I do think culturally things are not going well <laughs> overall. I think we can find plenty of evidence of that big and small, um, even, you know, like within our own lives. And then some of these giant examples, like the one with us soccer and the Burr halters and the Reina's. and you could go read that article, just Google Burr halter, Reina awesome. us soccer to just read some craziness. Right. Um, but you know, <clears throat> I think, that part of what's happened here is that um, youth sports groups have actually like some, a lot of parents have gotten very estranged from the process as we've sort of kind of tried to professionalize things. So, you know, a lot of these models used to exist with, um, yeah, there was a coach, the coach was kind of, kind of part-time, kind of full-time. There was a lot of volunteer labor um, involved in doing anything. There were a lot of parents helping out and part of those parents helping out was they got to be on the inside of what was doing. And if they were really engaged with what was going on, they were close to things and they actually understood better. I think what was going on. I think in today's days and day and age, like if you are going, if your attitude is, um, as a coach, like, Hey, I'm the professional. Just as you put it, drop your kids off at practice and I'll do the rest, right? And you just stay out of it. Like feed them, get them to the competitions, right. get them to practice, everything else. You better be charging a shit ton of money for that. Like, because actually what you've signed up for is, is a ton of work. Mm -hmm. It's a ton, a ton of work. But what I've seen is a lot of these cultural, like they've, they've gone, that that's sort of their attitude. And then they go... But like, you know, that'll be three grand a year. And yeah, it's really expensive to be in the sport for all the other things you have to do. But like the part that's actually going to the coach is pretty small. Right. And the coach is therefore trying to do that, exactly what we've described, at a giant scale. And when they try to do it at a giant scale, they can't deliver all that stuff. They just can't. And so the parent is going like, well, I expected you know, that you would handle everything else. And, and they're not, if they're really being honest with themselves, they're not handling everything else. Right. They're, they're providing a, a, a good training environment. They're probably helping the kid to be competitively really successful in the sport. But in terms of the rest of it, um, they're probably not delivering on it. And that's not a knock on them specifically. I bet they could, 
if they weren't trying to do it at the scale that they were actually trying to, right. you know? So I do think there's that. And I think, I think even more coaches have not policed their own in terms of there are people out there um, in the coaching profession. And if you've been listening to me for a long time, you've probably heard me talk about many of them and share my opinion on many of them who can get kids to swim pretty fast and their process for doing it is horrible for people. And we've all just gone like, well, if you get a kid to swim fast, that means you're a good coach. Or, or that, will, that, that will take care of all the other things too. Is like, I yeah. got them to swim fast. Now they got a good scholarship. They're off. Their, their life has started pretty, pretty darn well now. Yeah I, yeah, I see what you're saying. But part of the thing, just take a step back, is, is, is that previous model of allowing parents in, you know, the, the, the counterpoint is when the pendulum swings the other way, I guess, you got all these parents with an agenda on your board. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and so th- we always, like, harken back to, like, the one or two parents that, you know, worked 40 hours. They worked another 20 hours for the club. They're for the – and you're like, I don't know how they did it. But some parents, some parents can do it. Some parents can. And can stay out of it, but there's so many that come in that, that become so agenda based that like it makes your life just now you've got to cater to this one kid because that one board member keeps pushing. So kind of we want them to be dropped off at the pool on one end. On the other end, we want involvement because we want understanding from the parent of what all goes into this. I'm not just going to practice from 3:30 until 5:30 or whatever the time shift. I'm not just working three, four hours a day on the pool deck. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on. So having those parents that are in, it's nice that they see you working 90 hours a week versus the ones that think, right. oh, you're working 20 hours a week. Why should we pay you more than 35000 That's ridiculous. I'd love to right. play with kids right. for that kind of money. Right. I mean, I, I would put a differentiate, like I, I, I would put a big differentiation. You talk about like parents that are volunteering themselves up for a leadership role, like, I would argue, you know, with any swim coach, think about the parents that are willing to volunteer at your meets. Like think about that parent. That's I, I, I know, I know I coached some kids where their parents were willing to be on the pool deck with us for 12 hours Mm -hmm. (laughs) on a Saturday at a meet. Those people are incredible. Right. Like, and you, you, those are the people who are actually engaged in what you're doing. Um, and they're most often not also the people who are going to be on your, you know, board of directors, right? The, 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 those somehow there's no cross pollination between those two groups, the people who are really willing to help and the people who say like, I'm here to help, Yeah, you know, yeah. but, but my help exists of me sitting on this organization and, and as you said, coming with my own agenda, um, it is one of the things I think, you know, um, if there's anything that uh, probably could deserve to be replicated out of Jersey Wahoos to other board run swim clubs in America is that they actually have a board that is has a couple of parents from the team and everybody else on it is somebody who doesn't who like it's like I think it's nine people and two out of nine are parents of kids on the team. Hmm. And that's been a very, I think, slow cultural evolution over a long period of time, very purposefully designed. There's been some people who've been, um, who've been leading on that. But I do think that is one thing that helps a lot. And I saw it in, um, not in swimming, but in, in non, uh, non-swimming board run right. youth sports teams yeah. in Denmark. If they could figure out a way to make it not just 
yeah, like five people who happen to have kids on the swim team right now, <laughs> right. Um, they'd be a lot more successful with that model. You know, uh, one of the things you also mentioned was professionalism. So you're talking about like parental involvement, like, you know, what level are we kind of looking for again? It, and then also, cause I think that's kind of the relationship you need to have is like, what level are the parents involved in? And keeping them abreast of the idea of like what the goals of the child are, what the goals of your program are, and letting them know those are the things that are running this. And that if the parents have a different set of, of goals, you know, we can talk about them, see if they're compatible or incompatible with what the program's doing. But then the next step is, is the idea of that pendulum of, of professionalism. Is professionalism somewhat killing our sport? And, you know, obviously mm. with all the allegations and, and true allegations of, of molestation, all these terrible, horrible things that have gone on with coaches in swimming and other youth sports. So obviously we're like, yes, we need professionalism. Yeah. But there's also a level of professionalism where I think where we become so sanitized in a sense. I remember, you know, you remember back to your days of youth swimming, everyone always kind of smiles about one or two coaches. They're like oddballs or eccentric things like, and again, not in a malicious way, not in a, some sort of way where it harms a child, but just again, people like, you know, that, that coach that always wore a cutoff denim shorts and, a, and, a, and a, like a tank top or something to the pool. Just, again, just didn't quite look right. But now all of a sudden, everyone right. has their, you know, their, their tucked in, pressed, you know, polyester polo shirt with a name on the left-hand side of the pocket. They've got their khakis. They've got their belt. They got, and you're not allowed to have that really high emotion when they're, when they're swimming because a high emotion, like, well, is it you're giving more to that child than my child? Or that high emotion becomes like over the top throwing a stopwatch? That's not allowed. But again, you can't have so low emotion. Well, geez, that guy just doesn't care about my kids either. Again, this professionalism has gotten to the point where I think a lot of personality gets kind of rubbed out. And not that it's a horrible thing. So I guess that's why I want to know your opinion. Is professionalism kind of like maybe kind of starting to kill it a little bit? I mean, I don't know. Like, I would love for their. I, I, I actually think it's not so much professionalism as much as very gray boundaries around what is professionalism and what is not. And I think it's a nice goal to have some youth sports teams run professionally. Sure. sure. But what we've do, what we've done is like. 10% <laughs> and we've taken maybe a lot of the worst 10% of professionalism and adopted that and then said like, we're, well, we're trying to professionalize. Right. So to me, uh, you know, a professional environment would be one where, you know, a team actually has enough people to do all of the functions that a youth sports team has to do without the need for volunteers to be involved with anything. Right. And that all those people, you know, that they can afford to like be competitive with your median, you know, professional workplace, um, in terms of salary and work hours and structure and all that benefit, like, and that describes almost nowhere in the sport of swimming. So instead I, we, again, we've gone to like almost sort of suggesting that we're in, to a professional environment. And because we haven't gone all the way, it's, it's left a lot of teams in the gray area. And naturally most teams wouldn't be able to do that. 
right? But maybe you would have to clearly define like, what's our mission here? Are we actually trying to run a sort of professional, um, uh, professionalized sporting environment? Or are we just like a, are we a community organization that mm. offers some competitive sports stuff and like things are going to be unprofessional in a, in a certain, like not in a bad sense, right, like you right. say, but the, there's going to be stuff that here that like, you should just expect like on this kind of team for this kind of price. Like I, I, for instance, like, again, a lot of the sports stuff I've signed my own daughter up for is, is done through the recreation department in my town. And a lot of it's done in six week blocks. And on average, I would say I pay a hundred dollars for her to play a sport for six weeks. And like, what do I expect for a hundred dollars? Honestly, that she gets to show up to it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really expect almost anything else to happen at that thing because that's what I'm paying for. And that's, I mean, it's a recreational, like it, it's very clear what it is. Right. And I, I think a lot of this youth sports stuff is sitting in some weird gray area where we don't know whether it's um, sort of a a just a notch above recreational or whether we're really trying to run a, you know, sports academy for budding Olympians. Right. right? You look at like all the freaking teams. One of the things that drives me crazy and uh, is the, you know, all the teams with national in yeah. the name of right. whatever their top group is. And like how many kids in that group, like we were one of the top 20 teams in America. We didn't, we couldn't fill a top group full of people with national, even though we called it national squad. Yeah. We right. couldn't fill a group. Right. With, with a group of people that, that were qualified for some kind of national competition. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it, it's, 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 we think, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm off on my own rant about this whole thing, but you, you get the point. Yeah. I, I think, one of the things I noticed when I started in college, or actually when I first started coaching, was I, I felt like, you know, I was so young, parents aren't going to listen to me unless I start looking the part. And so obviously you're going to look the part, you're going to show up on time, you, you're going to be dressed presentable, which is obviously professional appearance. And then the more I started being into college, the more I started to kind of look, and you could just see on team photos, like as soon as you just scroll through it, this isn't a professional team. I would just kind of look at like the coaching staff, or I'd look at the website. There's like so many things that just kind of create that, I guess we're creating that marketing image of what our team is supposed to be. We call it the national team. We call it all these things. And I wonder if we've also kind of raised this level of expectation. But with that level of expectation, and you alluded to this before, is we haven't raised the level of finances coming in. You know, and I, right. I think is for, for me, I'm a relatively rational parent. And anytime I'm paying for my son to do an activity, I'm not thinking what kind of scholarship he's going to get in 10 years. I'm thinking – is going to be around people that I want him to be like, you know, both like as peers and as coaches. Are they teaching him some sort of valuable skill? And can I drop him off for an hour and I can go do something else for an hour and I don't feel like he's unsafe? And I'm looking at that as that's become something I'd pay anything for. But I think I'm, I'm fairly right. rare in that regard because now we've got all these, again, these, these different levels of clubs. Again, we're all looking the same. We all have the same arena or speedo or Fina, whatever polo we have on we all have the same we all look the same but obviously each club is going to have different things to it and we're trying to present that yet the price tag is part of the issue too where if you're if you have a daughter or son that does gymnastics or dance it's unbelievable how expensive it is relative to swimming yet we're like are we saying that we're less of a professional coach than a gymnastics coach is 
you know, but but right. but if you go by how we're charging, it definitely is. And so part of that too is so we've talked about the just the expectations of the parents, the expectations of the kids, the expectations we put upon ourselves. And I always look at some of these programs again, a collegiate or club, where they'll hire that twenty something who has nonstop energy to throw it. Whatever the problem is, I will just stay up all night and solve it because I don't have a child to get to school the next day. I'll just sleep in for four more hours. I don't have, I'm splitting a roommate, splitting a house with four other people. I need a hundred bucks a month for rent versus I've got a mortgage. And so again, they want this professionalism. They want all this other things that come with it, but you always want the cheapest price. And when you have things where like you can just kind of throw, when you're at that level where you have energy and time to throw at a problem, at some point, that's when you kind of, you know, they hit that wall where like, all right, now they've gone to sell insurance or they're still kind of ambling through the coaching, hoping that they can kind of get a lifestyle balance. And obviously pay has to do some of that lifestyle balance because, you know, we try not to live on the street as we coach. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're getting to something that is obviously it's extremely hard. I mean, it is that there's no easy solutions to this. And I was just scrolling up so I could remind myself of the text message um, that you forwarded me from from somebody that, against your best advice, decided to coach because yeah. I wanted to make sure that we address that. And I, I'm just going to sort of read it out loud and I'm going to tie it back into to what we're saying here. Um, the, the guy writes, I have... Um, he says that he has somebody, I'm going to paraphrase, he has somebody that he coaches that cries after every single race. Um, was really good as a 12 and under, 14 now. Um, feels as if the parent of this swimmer blames him for everything. Um, and, he, and he's trying to shrug it off. Um, you know, but like he's essentially asking, um, how do I, like, how do you help somebody that's in their position? How do you react when um, they come up to you and they've just raced and they're in tears because they're really disappointed in how they did. But you also, there's a flavor of this that I, I get out of the text where he's saying like, that's what I expected. Like I, I saw this, I saw this train wreck coming yeah, yeah. for hundreds of miles. And so, you know, it's really hard for me to react in that moment. And I, I thought a long time, about this after you sent it to me. And I, I know that my initial answer is completely unsatisfying, but it, it is related to what we've been talking about here. Look at the structure of what you're doing coaching wise. I bet you, if you, if you in this situation, you know that with enough time and attention, you could, or like here, I'm, I'm gonna boost up your confidence. You can do something about this. Like you can help this person. You can get in there and change the course of somebody swimming like this. But you probably are not doing it because you have 25 other people that are in somewhat of a similar situation. And you know that if you get in too deep coaching this one person, that it's going to take your attention away from everything else you're doing. And then you're going to have 20 other parents that are angry at you. And you're anticipating that. And so you're just going like, I'm just going to see like, I'm going to try a few things here, like, you know, off and on, but if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. And that's why you're probably, so like, think about your, think about your structure. And like, 
I thought there was great value in what we talked about last time, even the stuff with warm up. Like, yeah, okay, I understand the thing I'm saying right now is pie in the sky. But everybody should recognize that the way we have structured swim teams isn't necessarily the best way. We haven't, it's not like we, you know, um, Moses came down from, uh, from on high and went, you must have as many people in the lane as possible and one coach for 50 swimmers, like you can do it. No, it's not, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to agree with it. Um, and when you start thinking about how you might do it, I, I, I do now, especially I do, um, coaching outside of the team structure. And I can tell you, I've had so many conversations with parents who are probably a parent you view as a problem on your team where I go, if you could get X and Y and Z, would you pay a lot more to be on the swim team that you're at? And they never say no. <laughs> they never say no. And I think nobody's asking them. Like nobody's saying like, hey, here's the, you know, extra platinum elite package and here's yeah. here's what you actually get above and beyond what you're normally getting and they're 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 creating more business for me but like i don't i don't need to be in business um supplementing that end of it you know one of the things that you just two parts first of what you're saying right now i think is really important too is the ability to step back and that's what i've noticed when i stopped coaching that that ability when you're not in the fight every day you know you, we get so literally like in the battle of like, you know, getting these kids faster, dealing with parents, all these things, everything's coming at you when you're literally able to step back and, and divest yourself emotionally, just a little bit emotionally, you can think through these things so much more rationally. And I think that's why consultants are more kind of tying into what we talked about. Why consultants are important is, is the idea you need someone that can just step back. It doesn't mean like you're coming in with like, Oh my God, that's the most you know amazing thing I've ever heard. It's, this is something that, it's obvious and it's like a, a no duh moment is it, really what you get more from a consultant. And I feel, I feel a little better in that the advice I gave was, was similar to your advice. And I feel awful that my advice is your advice. My advice is like, we are the, you know, if, if, you're, if you're lying on the Serengeti and all these zebras are going by you, then your job is not to figure out a way to get the one at the bound, at the end up with the front. Your job is like to attack that, that end zebra. And, and coaches are always like, right. how do we get this last person or this person is not enjoying it to get up to the front? How do we, and we spend all of our time on the last that we forget there's a herd of, again, you have hundred kids on your swim team and really you can think of like two or three. They're like, God, what do we do about this, this, this? When, if you took that effort, cause we don't have the time, we don't have the space, we don't have the ability, capacity to deal with just three. I'm going to focus on the 97 that are moving. And I felt really bad about that. Just being like, you know what? You, you, you can't, you can't spend all your time when you're the only coach on deck and there's all these other things. Obviously my, my response is I want to be like, Oh, well you just do this, 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 you spend in 10 hours right. of counseling and you got that. It's like, well, I don't have yep. that kind of time. I don't have that life. Or like, you know, right. all the way back to the, the, the heart attack example to start the whole thing was, I remember I used to teach CPR. It was, you know, there's asystole when there's no electrical activity. It's like, the heart stopped. You can keep doing CPR, but it's you pushing on that heart. And that's the only thing that's keeping right. is beating is literally you doing all the work to keep the beating heart versus, you know, the AD kind of like starting up. There's a, if there's electrical activity, there's, there's a chance. If there's no electrical activity. Right. It's you putting all the effort. So this kid with no spark, you know, whoa, that analogy coming, right. coming to a head here, no spark. You're spending all your time, all your effort 
just getting that kid to get to practice, to just smile one time, just to have a good 100. Meanwhile, again, there's 99 kids that are like, yo, coach, what about me? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I get no love. Right, right. No, I think, and, and a coach who's given themselves a hard time that this kid in particular isn't having a good experience. Oh yeah, that eats us They're alive. actually creating a really positive experience around swimming for so many kids. Yeah. And then yet probably that coach is having like is miserable at some competitions because they go, yeah, but I didn't get, you know, the 30th zebra yeah, yeah. to run as fast as the rest of the other zebras, you know, like, and they, they don't even realize like they're personally, like they are, they are a miracle worker um, in what they're doing, like getting people to swim. First off, it's just not like, I don't care what you've told yourself. It's not easy. It's hard. This thing's completely unnatural. Yeah. The fact that, like, if you've got a team full of people that can swim butterfly to the other end, like, show that to your average person. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it'll blow their mind, right? Like, the thing that you can get all these people to do, and yet I have so many swim coaches who are walking around with their head down, like, oh, man, like, I suck, and, yeah. I, you know, I can't figure this out, and, you know, what's wrong with me? And it's like, give me a break. Right. Um. All right, we got to bring it to a close because um, there's more stuff to do in life uh, for all of us. But um, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, thank you to Joel for, for joining me as usual and being willing to just shoot off in every other direction with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, if you want more positive psychology-based content, uh, Instagram, Christy underscore coach. Uh, Facebook, uh, Christy Santis Coaching. And... Um, Please, please, this week, let this be the week that you engage on the YouTube version of this for no other reason than and, – and who could timestamp this I, I, I was, one, I was by the way? I waiting for you to like bring in why. All you're seeing is your white kitchen, my white kitchen. It's about as basic, basic as we can get. So, But yeah, if you want to watch YouTube <laughs> – I don't know. I just want you to. All right. Well, we're, we're sending this in. It would be right. interesting to hear other coaches like – again, like – they got an issue like that. Cause again, it's, it's yeah. good to hear because I don't feel like such a horrible human being where I'm just like, dude, cut bait. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. All the best stuff we get for this are, are, are listeners submitted. So right we appreciate you all. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again next week. Thanks Chris. Bye. -bye.